This is No Halos Here, hosted by Jen Lang and Jane Stark, the place to inspire a change in your consciousness to elevate the world. We're two heart-centered business owners nourishing our inner rebels while growing our respective businesses. No Halos Here is the result of bringing together an opera singer turned spiritual mentor and a marketing professional turned well-being coach to meditate daily. Together, we unite physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual energies into a powerful presence to lead, heal, and inspire. We love exploring the shadowed edges of life, the universe, and beyond through honest and thought-provoking conversations. Let's dive in. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of No Halos here with Jen Lang and Jane Stark. We're really excited to have Adele Anderson back here again this week to give part two of this interview. Last week, we talked all about NLP or neuro-linguistic programming, how it works, um, some of the more recent brain science behind it, how you can apply it and use it effectively in your day-to-day life. So go back and listen to that episode if you haven't, but you don't have to have it listened to it in order to get lots of value and fun out of what we're going to talk about today, which is a little bit more about Adele's story and path and how she came to NLP and also her NDE or near-death experience in addition to a few other things. So welcome back, Adele. Great to have you here. Yeah, so fun to be here. Love spending time with you ladies. Yeah. So for our listeners, if they haven't listened to last week's episode, maybe could you give yourself a quick little intro? Who are you and what do you do? And then we'll jump in. Okay. Adele Anderson from Life Coach Adele. I'm an NLP trainer, which means I train practitioners in neurolinguistics programming. And I am also a coach that helps people through the life and death process. So I assist grieving families to find grace, grounding and growth. Beautiful. That's wonderful. How fantastic. So then how, tell us how you got into that specific aspect of the NLP work. Yes. So my husband died last year. So that was a journey um, like no other. Mm -hmm. And until you've really had a deep loss, they they call it a catastrophic loss, a loss of a parent, child, or a spouse. Mm -hmm. And that really changed my outlook on the need to help families through this because I'd never experienced something that was so crushing Mm -hmm. and I had a lot of tools but I didn't have enough tools (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so through the process of my own grief over the past only nine months now um, I've developed a way to help people to really shift the deep emotions that come up with grief and um, to understand that we were never meant to live this isn't a lifestyle to to be grieving and Mm -hmm. that emotions if we compare them to a physical ailment because they have a lot of physiology attached to them Mm -hmm. but to understand if we leave that unchecked for two to three months it can become a mindset and then if we leave that unchecked for four months it becomes chronic and that means it becomes a personality trait and so if you know of anybody and we usually do have someone that we know of or even know personally that has never gotten over a deep loss and it it becomes them and and that's mm-hmm. really really sad so i just found that, that um this is a passion per, uh, purpose pro- project for me is to help people remove this um deep emotional pain wow so you, you mentioned that you had a lot of tools but that you realized that you actually were still missing some what 
what were the tools that you felt like you were missing or that you've had to bring into your life through this yeah. process? So I really, I really believe that grief is a body, mind and soul solution. And even though I'm, I was a very spiritual person because I'd had the near death experience that didn't make it any easier when my husband passed, the, mm-hmm. the grief was devastating, but I found that it was really the soul connection that I needed in order to heal. I really felt my soul was broken. And until I plugged in deeply to that spiritual part of our beingness, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I was struggling and, and that was a key awakening for me is, you know, we talk about body, mind, and soul, but what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and what part of our beingness and, and we can get into the infinite nature of beingness and the science behind it, which, you know, tells us that eternal is irrefutable now. The science. Yeah. yeah. That, that side of fascinates me as well. And even what we're seeing right now and, you know, you're from our, our last interview, you're very much rooted in science, right? We talk all about the brain science and whatnot. So I find it fascinating how sometimes, and again, the narrative that we hear so much right now is about the science and the spiritual side. There's like this polarity where it can't be mm-hmm. both. So hearing what you're sharing right now just gives me chills in that, you know, cause I really do personally um, believe that it's both and, uh, I've also had a near-death experience, so I have a little bit of that context as well, but I, I'm just fascinated by that, and I, I would love to dive into that even a little bit more with your experience around this and how you've brought those two together and felt that both of those tools are the, piece, the pieces that you needed. Mm-hmm. So if anybody's you know, searching for that information. I mean, there is so much information out there. There's 50 years of resuscitation research. There's 50 yeah. mm-hmm. plus years of near-death experience research, which really is irrefutable. Um, you know, a near-death experience has very many, very um, common themes that, you know, 5% of the world's population have had, has had an NDE. 17% of those people have a cognitive recall, which is different from daydreaming, or wishful thinking, where they can actually recall specific incidences, typically in a clinical setting where maybe they've died on an operating table. So, you know, these these are the research documents that are that are there. But if we look even into like some of the leading scientists today, and I'm a, a follower of Dr. Robert Lanza, and he has a book that's called Biocentrism, which is sort of the next step um, out of Uh, quantum physics or quantum theory where Mm -hmm. Einstein had quantum physics as the formulas for space and time and there was always the inability for that to be correct in every circumstances they always had to make little adjustments and so Robert Lanza um, took out physics and put in biology and now all of a sudden Mm -hmm. all of those formulas work so so it's really fascinating you know Einstein said it you know, there's all the way through time, you can think of all the great philosophers, which philosophers 100 years ago are, were, are simply a changed name to scientists these days. But, um, you know, time and space are a, an illusion. It's, an, it's yeah. a tool that we've used as a human being. And so if time and space do not exist, then life and death are also an illusion. So there Ooh. is um, overwhelming evidence in the eternal nature of our beingness. And that is our episode, everybody. 
Life and death is an illusion. Mic drop, yes. we're out. Mic drop, and we're done. So for Serenity, yeah, okay. <laughs> so can you take us back? Can you take us back and share a little bit of the story of your near-death experience? It was um, in a plane crash, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, a small sh- plane, tandem, tandem plane uh, amphibious, which means it has pontoons. So I, I was 27. I said, it, it's a perfectly sunny day. You know, the one's bright and balmy and with, mm-hmm. filled with the adventures of a 27 year old. Mm-hmm. And we have been out flying over patchwork green fields that were stitched together by a snaked river and then banked on either side by snow capped mountains. And I'd really spent the day dropping in and out of the sky and with the windows open and the smell of fresh cut grass on the air that, you know, blew through the air in my mind. And then we were heading back to the airport, but small planes can't fly at night. So you know, we had already turned the plane around and we're heading back. And then his voice erupted over the, the earphones. And I followed my gaze past his outstretched arm, past his fingertips that pointed to this river far below us. And he wanted to take this, the plane and swoop it down and he would skip it across the water like flat stones and then roar back up into the sky. So without a care in the world, I, you know, I felt the nose of the plane tilt towards the earth and we just pummeled downward, just like a roller coaster. Wow. Oh my goodness. And then we made contact with the water and the plane flipped. <gasps> it drove the, the nose of the plane deep in the water, flooding the cabin. I saw him go under. I went to take a breath of air and my mouth filled with water. And there I was upside down, total blackness, buoyancy pulling me up, gravity pulling me down. Things were bumping my body. It was very confusing. Um, I had a mouthful of water. And lastly, I discovered I was trapped. The three-point harness had tangled around the life jacket cords that I was wearing and I couldn't find the release so the next thing I felt was my feet hit the cabin floor hard and I pushed but it simply dug the three-point harness into my shoulder blades again confirming that I was trapped and then I you know was trying to open my eyes but there was gasoline in the air in the water and it just seared my eyes closed once again and I remember that feeling in my long hair just being drugged through my eyelids Hmm. and I was you know sort of fighting for um you know where to find this harness. And then I noticed this tingling sensation start to go through my fingertips and moving into my extremities. And we all know this feeling if we were ever that kid who tried to swim underwater as far as we could go, we know when we had to come mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. And that was happening to me then. And it was sort of, um, you know, sending a warning sign through my brain. I'd been a lifeguard, a competitive swimmer. I knew exactly what was happening. Oh, so you were familiar with water. Yeah. Very familiar with the water. I wasn't panicking at this point. And um, so that was like striking a match and a movie of my life began to flash in front of my brain, in front of my mind's eye. So, you know, billions of images from the moment of my birth came all the way through that day. And like the sun going down on that day, I separated from my body. And then all of a sudden, my perspective, my perspective changed. I was somewhere above myself in this bright light that was shining like a flashlight down onto that plane below. And I could see her upside down in that plane with her long blonde hair blowing wildly in the water. And yet I felt strangely unattached to her pain and, you know, unconcerned with her welfare. Because where I was, I was just fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I felt peaceful serene and I had this this permeating feeling of unconditional love mm-hmm. and then I was given a gift I was given a preview of what would happen if I was to die 
And that would be two police officers walking through my parents' front yard up the big red brick steps and knocking on their old wooden door. And my parents answered the door and I couldn't hear the conversation, but I heard, I, I watched their facial expressions change from confusion to acknowledgement. And then it turned to horror. And at that point inside my mind, my mom collapsed to the floor. She covered her head with her hands and she screamed. And she screamed really loud inside my head. And this is when I made the choice that I wasn't going to die that day. And that put me back in my body wow. where I was <laughs> out of breath and out of time. But I made a very concise choice that I was getting out of the plane now. And this is the mind science behind choice. There's no right. There's no wrong. There's no room for questioning getting out of the plane now. And that was like flipping another switch inside my mind. And all of those pictures that had flashed forward in time began to go in reverse. Back in time, now working my demand or my, my ask to find a, a way for me to escape a plane that had crashed and overturned in water. And the, the picture stopped in front of a scene of a movie that I'd watched decades before. Did not know the name of the movie or what came before or after the names of the actors. Never knew anything about it. But the scene in front of my mind's eye gave me all the information I needed to escape a plane that had crashed and overturned in water. Hmm. And I followed the script and I escaped the plane and saved my own life. Yeah. Wow. So there was many things that I learned that day. But two really fundamental ones is I was no longer afraid to die. Mm -hmm. I knew that there was something beyond what I saw at first glance. And that gave me... Um, you know, they even say it changes your brain. People that have had near-death experience think differently. And I believe mm -hmm. that's true. I couldn't explain how I survived until I found NLP. But the other thing that I really knew that um, even in life's most dire circumstances, when we think we're out of breath and out of time, we still have ability to make choices that can change the trajectory of our life. And yeah. this is also mind science. And so then, you know, we fast forward into my work, finding NLP, understanding why I survived. And then, um, you know, life continues to unfold. And then last year, my husband died. And that um, became, you know, a, a very difficult journey for me. Um, you know, my soulmate being separated from him and um, all of the, the depth of grief that comes from that. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So at the point of this, thank you for sharing your story, by the way. And that's, that's really, really fascinating process about that choice point of I wish I've heard before. And I even I've read um, Dr. Aben Alexander's books, um, both proof of heaven and living in a conscious universe, I think is the more science based, which is I prefer that book. It's really fascinating um, around NDEs. And we will put the names of these resources as well as the Dr. Robert Lanza um, resources you mentioned. We'll put all of that into the show notes for our listeners so you can go and check those resources out. But what I want to get back to is um, when at the time of that crash, so I have a question. Did the pilot survive? The pilot did survive. Okay. <laughs> I was question. wondering that too. Um, yeah. He, um, he was under a lot longer than I was. I actually, um, you know, crawled up onto the pontoon, almost like having a, a high, I thought I was an Olympian, threw my hands to the sky and let mm -hmm. it screen, and then I dived back in the water, but it was pitch black. Um, the plane was moving quite quickly in the current and I never did find him. But on my third dive, when I resurfaced, he was up and he was vomiting 
hanging on to the side of the pontoon. So um, he was one lucky guy. Did he, do you know if he ended up having a similar experience like an NDE as well, or? I don't think he did. Hmm. I don't think he did. Interesting. Sorry, Jen, was that, you had another question, I think. Yeah, my other question was, did, had you uh, met your husband at this point? I met my husband shortly after that. Okay. Fascinating. So interesting when we have these, I know Jane's got a question. I'm just going to have a quick statement here about when we have these experiences and then we meet someone after um, these experiences and we are with that person for whatever time we have with them, however that works. And the sort of, I'm going to say codes and information that we exchange and have with each other. And it can be an intimate partner, it could be a spouse, it could be simply a friendship that lasts two or three years and then you each go your separate ways. But it really does get me thinking about this limited experience we have as a human being in all the facets and ways that we are humans. And at the same time, all the beautiful infinite possibilities that live beyond that energetic space that we referenced in sort of the first in the first um, episode last week. So I wanted to put that out there because it's just such a I find this stuff super fascinating and I, I like the brain science behind it. I play in more in the, in that spiritual liminal space myself. So it's very, I have not haven't had an NDE, but I've played in that space and done lots of traveling and journeying and yeah, connecting in other different ways. So yeah, it's just amazing. It's so fascinating to me how we can have these beautiful experiences and yet find this amazing common ground. Yes, totally. Now, there's a very cool, if, if people are interested in, you know, life after death, life between life, there's a beautiful, he's a PhD in psychology. His name is Dr. Michael Newton. Okay. And he has a book out, I think that it's called um, Life Between Life, something like that. But I can get the reference for you. Yeah, so it's does, um, hypnotherapy. And he was doing a lot of past life regression, trying to you know, work with people, very, very um, renowned guy, like we're talking, you know, hundreds of thousands of people working with him. And um, so he would be doing past life regression with people and trying to solve physical ailments that they just couldn't seem to mm -hmm. overcome. And one, for example, I remember was something like this guy had a permanent limp and he, and always pain in his leg and through past life regression, you know, he had lost his leg as a war yeah. Mm -hmm. but um it was very unexpected that he dropped into life between lives mm. so it was something that was beginning to happen more frequently so then his work really went into the life between life and the journey of um the soul and wow. what happens to the soul between lives and the amount of research that he gathered over decades was phenomenal so wow. much so that okay. we can see the development of the soul through the colors that they become the pods that they're in the um you know their circle of beings that stay with them through different journeys whether they're supporting them on a soul level versus dropping into a life and you know being that person that is within your your pod um, and I really believe that Willis is in my pod, that he is my a soul connection. And, and why I say that is um, there's there seems to be indication, you know, I met my husband 
um, one weekend in Whistler, I was with a girlfriend having uh, coffee outside in an outdoor cafe. I looked across a thousand people and I saw his face. And I said to her, I don't know who he is, but I'm going to marry him. Wow. And then he's walking through the crowd and he walks up the stairs behind me. He leans over my shoulder and he kisses my girlfriend on her cheek. And he says, hi, Anna. And I'm like, who is he and why do I not know him? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And, you know, so these connections, like how would that Mm -hmm. ever happen? Mm -hmm. Yeah. you know, so 30 year relationship later, I really feel that Willis and I are a soul connection. And, you know, yeah. I do believe that we see our loved ones again. Mm-hmm. Some of them will be in our pods as our influencers and, you know, working with us as our soul development. And then others will be in other pods that, you know, we'll come together. But we encounter. if you're interested in that type of information, then these are fascinating books to read. Yeah, I was bringing my, I received the book, um, Many Lives, Many Masters for Christmas, which is, of course, is a classic in hypnotherapy and past life regression. So it's a quick and easy read. Um, and that was that, you know, again, a great, great confirmation of a lot of the work that A, I've experienced for myself and also B, I've done with, I've done with clients too. So fascinating. Jane? I have so many questions, but unfortunately, you know, we'll have to, we'll have to have a part three and a part four. Um, I know. So you mentioned that NLP really helped you when after the near death experience and just why am I here? What, how did I survive? Can you just give us a brief kind of walkthrough of how, how that looked and what, what you came to with that? Yeah. Yeah, You know, I, it was interesting. I never told anybody about my near death experience for 25 years. Wow. But behind the scenes, I was silently searching for the reasons behind my survival. And I first became a homeopath, that mind-body connection, the Mm -hmm. communication that is continually happening between our mind and our body, the messengers that go back and forth, the feelings that we have are not random. Mm -hmm. And understanding that there is a a language, and a lot of times it's lost, because we, we we just haven't been taught about that. So I did gain some fundamental knowledge of um, mind and body through that process. And um, that was helpful, but it still didn't give me the answers. It wasn't until I understood, you know, the fundamentals of the subconscious brain, which works at 120 to 140,000 miles per hour, downloads 40,000 bits of information per second, different than the neocortex, which is our greatest fetus invention, but works at about 120 miles per hour downloads 40 bits of information and we retain seven, (laughs) right? So, you know, this is uh, brilliant, but slow. (laughs) It kicks in Mm -hmm. um, because it's analyzing and rationalizing and Mm -hmm. this powerful brain, middle brain is where all the action takes place and the speed of it is enormous, but the function of it, its only purpose is to keep us alive physiologically that was working in my favor. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And the second thing that it's supposed to do is to do exactly what we ask. Ah. So this becomes, you know, this is like the perfect storm. Keep me alive, keep my survival and do exactly what I ask. They match up. If I would have said, I really want to get out. I can't get out. I don't know what to do. I'm not good enough. 
I don't believe I would have survived. Oh, I just got like, I'm getting out of the plane now. And that's another key is our brain doesn't understand the past or the future. Those are man-made ideals. Mm -hmm. It only understands the moment. The decision that we're making right now can influence the future, cannot influence the past. Mm -hmm. But we, we have to understand that our brain's capacity is to work with what we ask now. A little bit like a computer, the information that you put in. So us as coaches often, you know, have our clients visualize the future that they want. Mm -hmm. So think of this as putting the programs in. The data is going into the computer so that then we can recognize it when we get there. But if we don't have that information in, if we say, I want to do that tomorrow, next week, or maybe, or try, our brain doesn't know what to do with that. And so it does nothing. And this is where the capacity for our belief systems to really sabotage us come in. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. I don't know enough. Mm -hmm. Why me? You know, or, you know, we could get into victimhood. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. None of those offer us solutions and none of them turn on that switch to have this brain working for us. Yeah. It's interesting. Sorry, as as you're sharing that and reflecting on my own life, I can see all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I went through a period about, I don't know, 15 years ago where my husband and I were like, oh, we've got like a black cloud over us. Like it's just, and, and my journey has been completely shifting that. And And so I'm just having a bit of an aha moment of like, wow, it is so powerful. And as you share that, I can see where I did that personally in my life over the last 10 years. And and you guys talk about radical responsibility. Yeah. So so this is it. Like we take responsibility for every single thing that's going on. Yeah. There's no sidestepping it. Right. We choose to. You chose to save yourself that day. Yes. And yeah, I, I didn't, I absolutely. wasn't, a victim, you know, um, and this is, it shows up in the language that we use, you know, it, not taking responsibility is becoming a victim mm-hmm. saying that I don't have the ability yeah. over my own circumstance where when we own it, we step into our power. This is where the game changes. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, there's so much more I want to unpack here, but I think we'll have to save this for another episode, yeah. but um, the owning it piece, I'm going to sort of park this idea in here is the, I hear so many of the other, I'm going to say objections to the owning it and excuses to the owning it. And they're out there and the owning your shit piece and not everyone else's that really just sums it up. It's like, it gives you permission to shut out all that other noise and decide how you want to, like you chose to live. How you want to live is to, is up to you. You know, I have so many wonderful examples of friends who've, you know, moved up from other countries in, in complete poverty who made very conscious decisions early on and are now, you know, keynote speakers in the UK um, have having made these decisions bit by bit along their journey that, you know, so it's, 
And it's not, it's not as simple as quote unquote laziness or anything like that. It's that it's everything tied in. It's those thought patterns. It's those beliefs. It's the conditions mm-hmm. in which you've been raised. It's your tendencies based on the NLP pieces. It's all of these factors that bring you to a place where you are. Oh, and so fascinating. Yeah. The biggest, like what I'm hearing too, is it's the power of having that awareness of your language. It can be, if I'm, you know, hearing it like as simple as starting there, what is your language saying? If you're, again, you know, if you put it to a money thing, if you're talking in lack all the time. Yeah. And it's body, mind, and soul, right? So Mm -hmm. I love that impact all aspects of our beingness. And, you know, a really easy one to target is weight. People, yeah. you know, people love to talk about weight. Diets are, you know, universal. There's always the next greatest fix. But it really begins in the minds. You know, how do I see yeah. myself? What do I believe about me? So here is um, somebody who wants to lose weight. And, you know, they're, they're doing well. Maybe they're on a diet. Maybe they're exercising. Whatever it is they might do. At some point, they're going to fall off the cabbage truck. It just happens. Mm-hmm. So, you know, get back up, keep moving towards your goal. But where we see the sabotage is that you show up at work, you go to a dinner party and someone says, you look great. And the thought that goes through your mind is, oh, I thought I looked bad. I changed three times before I got here. Mm. Bingo. So when the, the mind, deep within the mind, we have this belief system that's tripping us up, that's mm-hmm. tripping us up for our ability, in this case, to, you know, get the body that we like. And then we could get into the, into yeah. the we're not a body. <laughs> <laughs> There's yes. that Ooh, old aspect. That is another conversation to go to. But... Have a body, just a little quick thing. Mm-hmm, and yeah. you are telling your body that you don't love your body. What then? This poor body that's Mm -hmm. supporting you through this life that you have feels unloved. And what Mm -hmm. happens then? Mm -hmm. Right. So love yourself. (laughs) Well, it it even reminds me of that language, that um, experiment. I can't remember the specific name of it, but where you either a plant or we did it with an apple in our house, but you cut an apple in half and you put one is the good apple and one is the bad apple and the bad apple rots faster and you and every day like we did it with our kids to show the power of our la- of language and belief and you know and so yeah and and i mean try it it ha- and i heard somebody refer to it the other day and saying what they did it with a plant and the one that was the bad plant where you speak to the bad plant in negative and in negative language mm-hmm. so you've come up to him and be like i hate you you're ugly you're whatever it dies yeah. Way faster. And, and this is without watering it. Yeah. They mm-hmm. have generational memories. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. They will actually shrink away from somebody who's been mean to them in the past. It's quite fascinating, the whole. Yeah. Uh, so it just reminds me, though, too, of the body part that you're talking about, right? Like, yeah. if that's the power of our words to things like, yeah. like an apple or a plant that are living, think about what our body is doing in reaction to that language. Yeah. the cells we haven't even touched on like the frequency of sound and the frequencies of love so there's like mm-hmm. the shape of the words but i've obviously i work in music and frequency so when we're calling in positive frequency 
and our cellular structure is a huge portion of it is water. I think Jane, you're talking about the Dr. Emoto yes. studies There's that on one. water. There's on that water. one. Yeah. There's probably the correlate correlate one, one. And that frequency, the sound and frequencies of love and expansion and growth and acceptance of belonging. All like yes, we've given words to them, but if you are the the words are carried on the frequency. So all of those need to be in harmony together to make that word the most potent and the most powerful that it can be for that situation. Yes. Oh, so much. Wow. Okay. We are so out of fun. time, but thank you so much, Adele. Yeah. This was such a fabulous, deep conversation. Thank you for showing up and sharing your story <laughs> and your wisdom with our audience. Um, thank you. Where can our audience find you? My website is lifecoachadel.com. Um, yes, that life coach Adele is my um, email. Oh, I'm on Facebook, on Instagram. See me on lots of podcasts. If you Google my name, it should show mm-hmm. up. Perfect. All the links are in the show notes, people. So if you're listening, just please just go to the show notes. You'll find everything you need to get in contact with Adele there, including mm-hmm. the links to the sources we discussed. Thank you, Adele. This has been so much fun. We'll have you get back again probably Mm -hmm. sometime later this year to revisit some of these beautiful topics. I would really enjoy that. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Have an awesome day. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for these conscious combos. If you're ready to dive deeper, head on over to wearejenandjane.com to continue the conversation. If you loved this episode, please take a moment to share it with your friends or your network and leave us a review by going to Apple Podcasts. Find us on Instagram at wearejenandjane and let us know what you enjoy and what you would like to see more of. We'd love to hear from you.